Indiana Runner Podcast, Season 2, Episode 31. I talked to Lindsay Langford, who's a dietitian and nutritionist for Ascension. Uh, Lindsay really understands distance running and endurance sports and has a lot of good advice um, and information for parents and athletes. We're here with uh, Ascension nutritionist, Lindsay Langford. Uh, Lindsay uh, has worked for the Indiana Pacers, the Indianapolis Colts, and currently is the uh, dietitian nutritionist for uh, the U.S. women's national team, the U.S. women's soccer national team. Uh, we want to talk about nutrition, how that affects uh, distance runners um, and just, just athletes in, in general. So uh, starting off really simply, Lindsay, what, what does a nutritionist do and what, what kind of services do you offer through Ascension? Yeah, Colin, thanks for, for having me and um, happy happy to be here. Yeah, so I um, have been at Ascension St. Vincent Sports Performance for about 13 years now. And um, as a sports dietitian slash nutritionist, I'll clear the air a little bit for listeners that are like, well, what's the difference between nutritionist and dietitian? Um, unfortunately you, you use them pretty interchangeably. What I will say though, is that a registered dietitian is a cool professional who's been like, it's four years undergraduate, then a one-year dietetic internship and grad school. So that, and then you sit for a board exam, which is quote registered dietitian board exam. But the thing is, is that it's registered dietitian slash nutritionist. But what I will say is that anyone who kind of has an interest in nutrition can actually call themselves the nutritionist. So it's super confusing, but you'll hear me say dietitian and nutritionist interchangeably, but that's just a little education for, for your listeners there. If they're ever seeking someone, you ideally want to look for a dietitian. So that clears the air a little bit, but. That, um, that's interesting because yeah. I did have a, I coached the team at Carmel, I coached the boys and I was just talking yeah. to one of our guys who's a senior. And I was like, oh, what do you, where are you going to go? And he said, he's going to go to IU. I said, oh, what do you want to study? I assumed I was like, oh, IU Kelly School of Business. And he said, no, I want to be a dietitian. Nice. Yeah, that's so. awesome. So good. He's on the right path then. He's going through the proper schooling. That's great. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, I guess just to answer your question, what all do do we do and what do I do here? And, and I think the answer is is actually really broad that, that makes my job super duper fun is that I do all things to ideally fuel for performance. And so that is like a myriad of, of different things. Maybe that's obviously like meal timing. I kind of have this pyramid that I use of importance when it comes to nutrition topics. Meal timing is always the foundation of it, but certainly stepping into hydration or doing some sweat and electrolyte testing or um, working with females on like menstrual cycle nutrition. There's a lot there. Maybe it's different like blood work with my, um, you know, vitamin mineral deficiencies that could be going on. Um, helping athletes to recover, helping with immune support, helping with um, heat acclimatization has been something that I was doing for the Olympics. And so there's, there's a ton, I think that like, a dietitian can do. Um, it kind of just depends on, on what that athlete is, is needing at that point within their training, but ultimately it's helping them fuel for performance. So. So you've got a wide range of experience, you know, you've worked basketball, football, yeah. soccer, but also high school athletes. And this is a 
this is a podcast track and field, but but mainly even distance runners is yeah. at least the biggest part of our of our listenership. What what are the different nutritional needs between the different sports? You know how how is it different mm-hmm. you, when you worked with the Pacers versus the the national women's national team? Sure. Yep. And I would say for your listeners, like I do have a lot of experience in team sports, which I've kind of just landed in my ultimate dream. I ran cross country in high school, then in in college, I went to university of Alabama and I was on their cycling team. So I've always been in endurance sports. Then after that, I went into coaching, um, of triathletes and cyclists. And so that is like my, my, like, I would almost say true passion, Um, and that is what I do personally myself, but yet I've kind of just been, been had opportunities in these team sports settings. That's been super cool, but it was definitely not the path that I feel like I envisioned. And so I, I do kind of feel like a little bit like a Jack of all trades and master at none, but I, um, each sport is totally different for sure. I mean, I think at the foundation, you definitely have to understand the, you know, certainly the science and the energy systems. That's a foundational thing to, to learn and know of what that sport really entails. But I also think a big part of it is truly just like learning the culture of that team and what that sport is because like cross country is totally different than track. And I feel like same thing with football is obviously different culture than basketball basketball and soccer are very different, but honestly, their energy systems are probably pretty quick or probably pretty similar. Fast explosive bursts, you know, can be semi-endurance-ish just from the duration of of the game. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think like learning the culture between each team and just those subset of athletes is a really important aspect. and, and fueling them truly. So if we want to be a little more like hands-on direct, what are, what are some things that you think nutrition wise, diet wise, that, that distance runners should be concentrating on? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, certainly we think of distance runners and we think of carbohydrate increase for sure. And, and that is definitely part of it. I mean, you can certainly read textbooks of anywhere from like 55 to 70% should be carbohydrates. And certainly that, that is important. I may not go that high in all scenarios, but I think with distance runners, I work a lot from the hydration perspective um, because they typically are sports that are, you know, again, longer continual sweat volumes and then looking at electrolyte loss for those athletes as well. And, and maybe not at the cross country level as much, certainly once you get into longer distances or your half marathon and so forth, I definitely think electrolytes play a really big role in customizing that to your sweat rate. Um, but also iron, that's a really big one as well. Um, as you and your listeners probably know for our endurance athletes and, and, Maybe even more so, well, for sure, more so even your female athletes checking out iron stores and having proper levels and knowing protocols for supplementation if needed. And so those are a few things that I guess I think of as my, my like check boxes with an endurance athlete. So, I mean, iron, it can be a really big limitation, right, on performance if your iron levels are low. What are, what are some things that even specific foods, types of foods that, that would have high iron? Yeah. Um, 
Well, immediately I think of like your, your animal proteins, definitely your beef is going to be high. Um, even fish has some iron stores in it, but we're also getting those from leafy greens. We can get some from dried fruit. We can get them from nuts. We can get them, um, in plant sources and in animal sources. And so where it becomes, I feel like almost even trickier is when you're working with that vegetarian or a vegan athlete. And then I would almost guarantee you we're going to need to supplement not all the time but I would say a vast majority for sure so and that's okay too and some some dangers associated with supplementing right I mean you don't you wouldn't recommend that a kid just goes out you you want to work with a professional in terms of like extra iron iron supplements right yeah, for sure. I mean, you can, um, you can quote overdose on iron. It's called hemochromatosis. And that's a state that, that you don't want to be in for sure. And so I, I don't blanket statement of taking iron for every athlete. I mean, as much of a pain that it is to get your, your blood values tested, it really is crucial. And so we work with our sports medicine docs here at Ascension St. Vincent Sports Performance, and we'll get some blood drawn, and we'll we'll figure that up and create a protocol for you. So, yeah. Would you recommend athletes getting getting their blood tested on a regular basis? I would for sure. I mean, I other than the inconvenience um, and potentially the price point of it, there's no reason why we shouldn't. And so, in an ideal world, I would love to say we're testing. Um, three to four times a year. We're testing uh, pre-season. We're testing midway in season. Typically, if we're noticing a deficiency, that's going to take about six weeks to, to correct. And so we need that time. So I would love to say mid-season. And then I, I can be argued post-season is that important, but I would love to get those values to see how much do we drop from the middle to the end. Um, but at least if we didn't do it right afterwards, then we're getting that, we are getting it tested as we gear back up for our foundational phase again of building, so. Especially in, for, for distance running endurance athletes, post-season and pre-season are essentially the same thing, right? Right. Yeah. You've got just a, such a short window. So, yeah. And especially if they're going into track, you know, right mm, after. So, right. Yeah. yeah. It'd take about, oh, maybe we don't have practice for two or three weeks and then it's preseason. Yeah. 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 Do, you, do you think it's, is it more important for girls or women to get their iron tested? Much more likely to yeah. be iron low, correct? Yes, for sure. You know, and I, I should have that statistic. I don't know it off the top of my head, but, um, I, I can say there was a study done in the NCAA and out of their female athletes, 60% showed, showed maybe not clinical deficiencies, but definitely iron levels that were not optimal. And that's a, that's a massive amount. And, and, and the reason why, for those that, that may not know is, is obviously like women should be menstruating and we lose a lot of blood during that process. And there, there's your iron. I mean, iron is, is stored in those red blood cells and so um, females are, are definitely at risk more so than males, but we've certainly seen um, quite a few of, of maybe even your team of <laughs> definitely just high school, you know, males can, can absolutely be in there. So I don't think they should be ignored. So, so here's, here's a, a interesting aside, at least I think it's interesting because it happened to me in about, I don't know, probably the mid O's was was around the time that we started to realize that boys, men could also 
be anemic and have an iron deficiency. And I, I remember, I mean, a lot of guys around my age that were running poorly and that you go in and get your blood checked and they're like, oh, your, your hemoglobin's low, your iron stores are low. And those were the first few guys to figure that out, 03, 04, 05. And I was, I was one of them. I was like, man, why, do, why am I so tired all the time? What is going on? Like, do I just have a bad attitude about this? Like, does everybody feel this way? And they're like, no, we're starting to find out that, yes, boys can be anemic too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of that comes from what's thought to be called, I mean, foot strike hemolysis, just continual foot strike after foot strike. It's breaking up red blood cells that can cause iron levels to, to drop in males as well. So yeah, definitely something that I encourage honing in on um, if you're an endurance athlete. Are, are there different nutritional needs between adolescent boys and adolescent girls, or is it a pretty big overlap? Yeah, I mean, the uh, the foundations are for sure the same. Um, we're fueling well throughout the day. Something I really teach and preach is like protect the bookends of your training. We want to go in well fueled for that workout so we can give it all that we've got. We want to recover afterwards so we can get ready for tomorrow's workout. Like there are a lot of foundational things that are for sure the same for males and females. But I do feel like, um, I mean, our males are going to be at increased caloric needs, which I don't have these kids count calories, but it is something that I need to be mindful of or, or you the athlete should or their parents should that certainly a male is expending more. Um, so there's a volume difference. And then, and then the other aspect is again, that like female in a menstrual cycle. So being attuned to if they're having that a lot of times when they're not, it truly is nutrition related. And so, um, yeah, that's a factor to, to definitely pay attention to with our females. And then with that, again, comes the iron status because they are losing blood on a monthly basis. Then we're paying attention to that. Um, so there's certainly differences between males and females, but um, I would say at the foundational level, we're still fueling them pretty, pretty similarly. So you're, you're pretty busy. You're in demand, right? You're working with the national women's national soccer team you've worked with but can people get an appointment with you at St. Vincent or at uh, Ascension yeah yeah they can so um I have truly I have about one day a week in the office but I also have a teammate and so she's she is open and extremely well versed in this area as well and so yeah we're we're open for appointments and love working with that that high school population or even your just adult recreational athlete probably a lot of your your kids' parents even interested. So yeah, absolutely. So what, uh, obviously the purpose of meeting with you is you're the expert, right? So needs are going to differ, but in general, what, what's that like? Let's say I'm a 17 year old high school athlete. I want to come in and meet with a registered dietitian. I get you mm -hmm. like, what, what do we do at that appointment? Um, so when we start working with somebody new, it's a two appointment process in our first appointment, um, we are sitting down and really we have an assessment form where we're, we're learning a lot about that athlete. What do they typically eat in the day? What medical history do they have? What are their training? What's their training schedule like? Um, what, how's their sleep? Um, what are some of their behavioral patterns? Do you carry a water bottle? So there's, there's a lot that we need to learn about that athlete in our first session. We also do go over like just some foundations of sports nutrition and make sure we're on the same page and give them just some general education. 
And that's our first appointment. And then they come back for a second. And that's when we're really diving into their own kind of personalized nutrition plan at that time and building that out together and coming up with when they should be eating, what they should be eating, coming up with meal ideas. And so that's a typical, you know, initial assessment. And then I feel like if there's sometimes that's all that they need, we go through the initial and that's it. Um, and other times we need, we need more accountability. We need someone to continue to educate. We can get into race day nutrition. We can get into some sweat testing. And so there are definitely plenty of services that I provide, but that's, that's how we start. So let's, let's say I am a dumb high school boy, something I have a lot of, uh, experience with personally. Um, I, you know, I run 50 miles a week when I'm at my high points in training. So almost an hour a day. Right. Yeah. And I'm thinking I'm, I burn a lot of calories. So I, I'm not going to gain any weight. I'm going to burn all this off. Why, why can't I eat McDonald's all the time? Why can't I eat Chick-fil-A four times a day? If I'm not, I won't, I'm not seeing any problem with my performance. Right. Yeah. Talk, talk yeah, some yeah. sense. I'm a dumb high school boy. Talk some sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the hard population to to hit in a sense but here's my philosophy Colin is that like that is the population that I like to at least preach that hey you're already pretty good at your sport or you're doing really well but how much better could we be if we intertwine nutrition into it and when I say that I think a lot of times especially a high school boy is thinking man this this lady's gonna have me eat like salads and and tree branches and um, twigs and berries. And, and that is not the case. Like what I try to do in the beginning is actually add. So, all right, if we can't let go of, you know, your Chick-fil-A or your McDonald's right now, I just need you to add, I need you to add some fruit to that meal. Like, can we need some of those colors for those antioxidants and something that I feel like goes a long way, or at least I feel like a lot of high school kids comment on this is that each like color pigment that we're always trying to get more fruits and vegetables in, but each color pigment has a different purpose. Like the reds help with heart health, the orange help with eye health and reaction time, the greens help with blood flow to the muscles, um, the purples and blues help with inflammation and recovery. And so a lot of times my philosophy is let's add, let's add first before I'm going to like try to take anything away. Um, so they're just behavior modifications that, that, we can do pretty easily. And so, um, but another aspect is really helping them with just the connecting the dots between nutrition and recovery, like that maybe we won't be as sore for our next day. We can push harder in that track workout, knowing that we've got, you know, a tempo run the next day or so. Um, yeah, I think that even the quote, as you said, um, well, dumb high school boy. Hey, those are your words, not mine. <laughs> Listen, I um, was a dumb high school boy for four years. And then I was a dumb college boy for four years. So I, I can say it. Okay. Um, so yes, um, I, I do still think that that population does learn something and appreciate, um, yeah, just an appoint, appointment and, and kind of getting the nutrition check over and learning a little bit about themselves. So, yeah. What about um, injury injury prevention Ooh, and nutrition? Yeah. There's got to be a link there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely should have mentioned that one for sure because, um, yeah, nobody wants to be injured. You're injured, you're out of your sport, and that means you're not winning races that weekend. So, um, 
Yeah, nutrition can certainly help a, a large point in that. And, and that maybe ties back to, as I was saying, kind of the, the colorful foods and the rainbow aspect is also just that antioxidant and that recovery. And I, I always say that that is your, um, that is your just safety net and your injury prevention kind of coming from those foods. Yeah, for sure. So um, tendon health, ligaments, all of that um, nutrition plays a big role with. Most, most high school kids and even most college kids, right? They're not, they're not really in charge of their own meals. They're not making all of their own stuff. So what, what's some advice you'd have for a, a parent of a high school distance runner? Yeah. Um, well, I think that um, I really encourage parents to like bring their kids into nutrition and into cooking as much as they can. And, and maybe that's where you start with just like a menu planning each week. So I really encourage the parents that I work with that, hey, I just encourage you for dinners. We don't have to plan out every single meal by any means, but dinners each week really lay those out and Ideally, it is some input from your athlete for sure. And so, um, but meal planning, I think definitely shopping frequently to have the groceries in your house. I always say if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. So that's uh, an important factor for, for mom and dad just to have the kitchen prepped, the meal prepped. Um, but then also at the same token is really like teaching cooking skills if they can. I know that they have a ton going on. But I'll say for myself, like when I, my mom was awesome. Like she cooked every single meal for me, had a hot breakfast every morning. And then I went to college and I had no clue how to cook anything. And so even teaching your kids, like how to make scrambled eggs or just some of those basics would be um, uh, definitely a nice, something that I would encourage parents to do. Um. One of the main reasons I, I had thought about having this was there, this is, I don't know if it's, if it's just distance. I mean, that's the one that I have the most uh, experience with is distance running, but it's probably across many different sports and that would be eating disorders. And there was some talk on our, we have a, like a message board and um, some, some talk. And it seemed like it was a lot of male coaches dads, well-meaning men talking about this, that, that I was like, maybe we should get an expert, somebody that knows. So in, in general, what would, what would you tell a high school coach? Most of which are probably men coaching the girls teams um, or coaching boys teams. Cause it's certainly not exclusive to, to girls and women, right? Mm -hmm. What, what would you tell, a, what would be your advice to a high school coach talking to his whole team about nutrition, food, diet, things like that? Yeah. Um, it can, it can certainly be like you're, you're walking that fine line or that tight rope, um, when you have, I, and I would generalize as well and say, when you're talking to female athletes, which truly is not the case, there are plenty eating disorders and disordered eating in males as well, but it, it is certainly the higher majority, but I, I do feel like really keeping and connecting food as fuel, not, not singling out certain foods or saying, Hey guys or girls, like this Christmas is coming up and I don't want anybody eating, you know, your Christmas candies or, or desserts, like essentially not demonizing any foods because a lot of times that ends up causing massive restrictions, which ends up causing binging likely later on. And so using food as fuel and that, that definitely means that I, 
I know and I do educate my athletes as well that that cookies and donuts are not the ideal fuel. They're fine every now and then. But um, so again, there's that tightrope in, in how do we talk about food but not create negative culture and uh, that food is our friend, food is our fuel, food is our recovery, food is our injury prevention. So that, that message is really important. And, and then I also just think um, just being really careful and thoughtful on, on your words around weight, that that ideally should, should truly never be discussed. The only instance where I would say maybe it could be is if the athlete comes to you as the coach and truly asks the specific question around that. And then again, I would still probably say I'd refer them to a medical professional, whether that's their doctor or sports dietitian of some sort. And so, but, but weight is a big one to, to stay away from because you never truly know someone's potential at certain weights. And so that's, um, yeah, just an, an area that I think we've, we've certainly all learned over the last years or so. We have our Mary Kane stories, you know, that have been really helpful, I think, for just the world of, um, of running in general. So, yeah. So when you say, come up and ask a specific question, like what kind of question are you anticipating that they might ask a coach? Yeah, I mean, I think like if there's a, an athlete, because I get this as, as a sports dietitian of like, hey, if, if do you think if I dropped a couple pounds that I could be a better athlete or that I could be faster? Or um, I think in that scenario, like they are opening a door for your opinion, but at the same time, as I'm saying it kind of out loud, I, I still don't feel that it's likely appropriate for a coach to say, yeah, sure. I think that you could run faster. I think like the better response is thinking about like, how do you think you would feel at that weight? When was the last time you, you weighed that weight? Do you feel like you were stronger at that point? Um, then maybe the, those are ways to kind of help that athlete process that thought on their own without you as a coach specifically saying anything around that because we have to really remember and this this totally depends on your age group that you're working with but assuming that it's high school these males and females are still drastically changing and still have about five years of puberty and and growth and maturation even in our females before they're at a like stable body and so we we just have to support um their their natural growth still too so that's definitely a factor to not neglect okay so let's say i'm i'm a coach which i am i coach the boys but i've coached the girls in the past and it you know so a, a, one of my athletes a girl comes up and says or or a boy i guess in this case it doesn't really matter either way right yeah um, and says oh hey i i've been thinking about it and i i think i would be better if i lost five pounds Okay, so here's, I'm, I'll give like a sample response, right? And then maybe you could tell me like, okay, this would be something that's good. This would be something to say, something hands-on. Cause there's, I mean, there, hopefully there's people listening, wanting to know. I would say something like, well, your, okay, your, your training levels, your exercise levels, your body's probably going to fall into what is a pretty optimal weight. Are you, you're eating, you feel like you're eating pretty well. Um, if there's something you want to, you know, if there's something that you wanted to change about your, your diet that you think could help you in terms of maybe eating a little more healthy, but I don't think that it makes sense to purposefully try and lose weight. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I truly do think that that response is, is great. I think one thing as you were talking that out that, that came to my mind is trying to analyze, is this athlete looking to drop these few pounds to perform better because they really think that they can maybe run faster? Or are they trying to lose these couple pounds because they want to look good in their swimsuit coming up on spring break? Those are very different answers in that response. And so, um, yes, I, I, I think that's, that's just I can't, a lot of trying to feel that out too. Yeah. And I can't, I mean, I just can't imagine the second part where they're trying to lose. It's a, it's a vanity thing, right? It's an appearance thing. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it being appropriate for any coach to wade into that part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We leave, leave that one alone and, and truly even discourage that, that, Hey, this is really about performance and we need you fueling well. And another point to really consider as a coach too, if you have an athlete that's trying to intentionally lose weight during the season, that means they're going to be in an energy deficit. If you're losing weight, you're taking in less calories than you need. Right. And so if you're in an energy deficit during season, you're generally, you're not going to be performing your best. I can guarantee you that. And that leads or increase in risk for injury for sure. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those tight ropes to really walk um, with this population for sure. I suppose what makes it hard too is sports in general, but certainly endurance sports, it's all about tangible things, right? So in, yeah. like number numbers, this was my time. I did I did this many miles in this many minutes. I'm trying to get that better. This was my time in, on, on this course last year. I want to do better this year. And so when you, you put in, and I think probably any adult has been through this, right? Because we've all at times tried to lose five pounds or lose whatever. Sure. That yeah. when you, there's numbers there. Whereas with healthy eating, there's not necessarily as much that you can point exactly to, right? It's got to be a big part right. of it. And yeah. that these are these are highly motivated people that want tangible results, and that's one place that they that they can get it. Yeah, that's 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 true, and that's a good point. Um, how common is it? How common is an eating disorder? Um, I think you had another phrase for it that sounded better. Um, with, yeah, and disordered how, eating patterns. Disordered eating. So there's there's a true like clinical diagnosis of eating disorder, but then there's also disordered eating, and I would say those are way more prevalent than a true eating disorder, but at the same point, both of those are prevalent. So um, uh, yeah, finish with your question. I'm sorry. How, how common is that with athletes? Um, with athletic population, it's definitely increased over um, a non-athletic population for sure. I pulled up this, this stat, and this was a paper from 2014. So there's definitely been, been years since then. And you know, an interesting thing on that is that I um, was talking to a colleague at a specific university and through COVID, they have seen their eating disorder um, population amongst athletes, like true diagnosable eating disorders had increased um, twice, two, two to three times wow. the amount um, than pre-COVID. And so, yeah, just a lot of that. I mean, I can't tell you exactly why I can tell you what I would think is why of uh, being home, being isolated, being on social media, right? Always right, comparing right. yourself, having time to think about this more. 
potentially cooking more and becoming like maybe obsessive with the either amount of food or the quote cleanness of the food that you're eating. And so I don't know, but that was interesting. Two to three um, times. I mean, that's yeah, one of the dangers, certainly so not all social media is bad, right? I mean, this is a podcast that's a form of social media. Yes, yes. Hopefully good. But like, I, I think the danger of it is, I said this to my athletic director when I, we were talking a while ago, is you just, you look through there and people put up their highlights, right? Yeah. Their family pictures, their posed things, their vacations. Nobody puts up like, it took me 45 minutes to get my son to get out of bed so we could, you know, go downstairs and eat breakfast that he threw on the floor. Like you, you, so you compare your everyday life to everybody else's highlight reel. It's hard to stack up that way. Oh man. Yeah, it's so true. But, but again, this study was back in, in 2004, and this was published in the American College of Sports Medicine, um, some research done out of UConn. And it says in, in, with regards to clinical eating disorders, high school females have a prevalence of eating disorders, which ranged from 14 to 32%. That was in high school female athletes. 14 to 32%. Yeah. So there's definitely a variance there, but 14 to 32%. And then they noticed in just general, like high school female population, it was 0.5 to 5%. So, I mean, we can do the math and say that's five to seven times the amount um, increase. So yeah, and then with with males, it was definitely lower, um, but it was it was six to forty five percent, which again is a really wide range. But um, so I'd have to I'd have to dig in a little bit more to that study, but for sure, um, high prevalence, and that's of a of a true DMS five, which is your um, diagnosed statistical manual mental disorder. That stands for D- DMS, and so. There's, um, that's just the true clinical diagnosis of an eating disorder. But then you also have just the subset, which is really classified as disordered eating. And, and I think that one's a, a harder one because there's not a clinical diagnosis, but I think anyone can kind of pick up on that. It's, it's, it's the person who tries to have like the cleanest food possible. They are eating, so we can't say that they're anorexic but they're, maybe there's like orthorexia. Anyway, there's definitely subgroups and a lot of times that's um, kind of classified as disordered eating. And the prevalence of that was 50% in high school female athletes. So yeah, it's, it's definitely high and it's just really um, certainly something that I'm passionate about, really just teaching food as fuel and helping these ladies and, and guys as well. Um, learn the difference in between something that's good and healthy for you to adopt but there's also a fine line in taking that too far. And now it's become an unhealthy habit at that point. So how much, how much of what you do is maybe more, not necessarily to get them to change habits in terms of better eating, but actually like more moderation, mm-hmm. like maybe how, how often is it do you, that you end up working with somebody in general that's like, Oh, I actually want to teach you to, to moderate this better rather than, rather than eating better, not necessarily eating worse, but being like, it's probably okay to have a donut or to, you know, to drink a Sprite every now and then. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, I definitely see a good bit of that and 
that is is something that I generally always say is just like that's part of a healthy mindset around food. If we can have that athlete who does eat really well the majority of the time, they're incorporating in your lean proteins, your whole grains, your fruits and vegetables, which any dietitian is going to preach. But yet we also have someone that after meat, they're going with the team and, and they're going to have pizza on the weekend and it's not going to be every night, but they have a healthy mindset around food to allow some of those fun foods to come into play is to me part of a healthy diet. So, yeah. Those numbers you were throwing out too were athletes, general athletes, right? But endurance sports, it's got to be, it's got to be higher, right? I would bet that the endurance sports is that higher end, right? When you, when you read the range of 14 to 32% high school female athletes, my guess is that 32% would be more of your endurance sport. But you also have weight class sports that are really prevalent in, in disordered eating as well, from your wrestling to gymnastics to I worked with synchronized swimming for a while. That was an interesting one, but for sure there are, um, I mean, even um, just like cheerleading and, and dance teams, those are still, they're A, maybe not a weight class sport. I mean, wrestling is truly a weight class sport um, or boxing or something like that. All of those are definitely on your higher end, but also those that um, are truly uniform de dependent. I mean, think of gymnastics, um, again, swimming, synchronized swimming, um, that are in tight, minimal, minimal clothing. Volleyball can be one as well. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, no sport is immune. That's for sure. But I, I would agree that they, they are higher in our endurance athletes for sure. So let's say if we suspect there's an athlete or that doesn't have to be an athlete, a, a, an adolescent and it's having a, some sort of food issue, disordered eating, or even a diet. Well, I guess a, an eating disorder would need to be diagnosed, right? Like what, what are the first steps then to dealing with that? Um, you know, I will say there, there are probably quite a few routes that you can take. I mean, one in a high school setting, I would have your athletic trainer who's there on the daily um, in the know from that, your athletic trainer is your direct connection to your team physician. And so I think that's from a high school setting, probably where you could start. You could also seek somebody like myself that is a sports dietitian to say, hey, we just, and I will say that that's a lot of times where athletes enter into this is through me because it feels less intimidating than going to the doctor or to like a psychologist or a counselor of some sort. And so I think that sometimes I'm the entry point, whether right or wrong. Um, but I would say in general, there is kind of a treatment team of a dietitian, a physician or medical. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it should be a physician and then some form of a mental health uh, provider as well. And that's, so I think you can enter at any one of those three points. Um, but I, I would say at the high school level, starting with your, your athletic trainer would be one place. Sure. So if I could, if I could summarize it up, let me know if anything you'd want to add, you know, from a coaching or even a parenting perspective, we want to emphasize that food is the fuel that we need nutrition, I guess, not food, food and food and drinks are the, the, the fuel that we need and moderation. It's, it's okay to venture outside. Not every single thing has to be 
for performance. It's okay to venture outside of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've certainly used a mantra before of an 80-20 rule. 80% 80 of the time we're staying on track. We're trying to adopt some good, strong, nutritional, healthy habits. But 20% of the time, it, it is encouraged that we have those fun foods. And, and without that, I think there can be some, some strong detriments in a negative aspect. So yeah, I would agree. Cool. Um, so I, some last minute questions I have. Gatorade Zero. What's like? What's the deal with that? I got it accidentally um, one time, and now I've had it like about half the time. Yeah, that's funny. So yeah, I mean Gatorade has like three sports drinks. They have the original Gatorade, which we all know. Um, it definitely has sugar in it, but we use sugar as an athlete. So to me, that's fine. Then you have your G2, which is reduced sugar. And then you have your zero, which is actually zero sugar. So they use a stevia or an artificial sweetener in there. Um, so I, I feel like I use all three at different points and I hate to make it complicated, but if we're doing what I are fueling at what I call the bookends of your training pre, during, or post, um, in general, we do need some sugar and we need those carbohydrates. And so that could come from the original Gatorade. Um, if we're just sipping on something for the electrolyte aspect, or we want something to taste good, I think then, then I may go to the Gatorade zero or the G2. So kind of use them different points. So kind of like afterwards, the real Gatorade, the original Gatorade is probably what you want. Yeah. Beforehand, you probably want water, but if you if you're not going to drink water, that's probably the time to drink the Gatorade Zero or whatever. Yeah, I would say so if you're just like sitting in class. But again, if it's like, hey, I'm sipping on a full-fledged Gatorade and I've got practice in 30 minutes, then to me, those are some quick carbs that we're going to absorb and we're going to use in those first 30 minutes of our run. So I think you can use it before. But I kind of always say if we're sitting around like playing xbox or video games or doing homework but we don't need we don't need sugar at that time so we can use the the zero or the two um so sure. those, those are a couple of examples i started drinking coke zero instead of regular coke is that actually better for me or not <laughs> uh, i think you're going to get a debated response on both sides of that so one side of the fence is going to say no i'd rather you just take in regular sugar than than consuming the artificial sweetener the artificial sweetener that they use though to stay on the other side of the fence is a stevia which has been i think there's still some some research that i would love to see continue to be done and there there is research a lot of research being done in the stevia realm um but it is quote, less offensive or potential harms from that. And, and we do know that there, there can be some detriments to artificial sweeteners. I mean, one that is, is definitely a, a correlated link are just GI upsets and disturbances. I mean, people with any kind of an irritable bowel, um, uh, certainly any kind of a liver issue, we, we need to stay away from the artificial sweeteners for sure. But I would say the majority of the population that is not the case for, um, but there's just interesting things. And so I think I, 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 I think I ride the fence on it right now. <laughs> I should probably just stop drinking pop in general, right? I mean, ideally there's your, there's your answer. Well, I've been big on the like 
LaCroix or the carbonated waters, you know, like they still yeah. add that fizz and fun to me, but yet there's, there's nothing yeah, my, else. My wife there. drinks a lot of those. I, yeah. how, okay. How, this is the last question. How bad is Red Bull for me? Huh. Um, I mean, it's, to me, it's the same kind of concept. We, we definitely have sugar. You have caffeine and taurine caffeine. And so I, I need to maybe differentiate Colin between yourself and, and your high school athletes, because caffeine and taurine, taurine kind of is, it enhances the effect of caffeine and taurine helps with just like mental focus. And so while those are both two supplements, I mean, caffeine is essentially a supplement um, that truly do have benefits. They have a lot of um, research behind them. It's really interesting. Red Bull Institute is doing a ton of research and it's neat stuff. But I, so I would say for you would be different response than I would say for a high school athlete who's still growing, maturing, using caffeine as a performance benefit or aid, but yet then that becomes one Red Bull ends up being two Red Bulls or three Red Bulls. And so, yeah, I mean, I I do feel like you can use it, um, but be selective. So what I'm getting out of this is it's not that bad for me at the beginning of the day before I teach to drink a Red Bull. I mean, hey, caffeine is, is you're getting caffeine from coffee or you're getting it from Red Bull. What you're doing is now adding a good amount of sugar to it. Ah, So there's your, I guess, potential differences. I'll probably use that to justify drinking Red Bull. Well, she didn't say it was terrible. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Hey, thanks for coming on. So if, if anybody um, wants to reach out, you know, there's uh, Ascension, right? That's who you work for. Yeah. So, Ascension okay. St. Vincent Sports Performance. Yep. Um, I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there. It's Langford Sports RD, Langford Sport RD. So you can find me yep. there and, and Twitter. I'll get your contact information that you'd want people to have and I'll put it in like the notes on the show. So if someone wanted to, it'll, it'll be right there. All right. Hey, thanks for coming on. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks so much for having me.